Praise God. Well, I know that uh, with the election, no matter what, there's going to be 50% of the population upset no matter who wins. And, uh, but this is the thing that the Lord has just really put in my heart. I know each party says they're going to bring unity to this nation. It, it's not going to happen by the government. It's going to happen by the church. I believe the church is what's going to bring unity to this nation. And uh, there's a lot of divisiveness and probably will be even more so in 2021. I hope I'm wrong. But I believe it's going to be the time. I believe this with all my heart. It's going to be the time that the church is shown the, the brightest. It's going to shine bright in 2021. I believe that. And the Lord has put some things in my heart. I'll talk about that in just a minute. But um, uh, if you want to follow along this morning, you go to our website, rmfchurch.org. Click on Media, then Notes. And today's message, never quit. Never quit. And uh, so uh, let's pray before we, before we go. Father, we just thank you for the power of the Holy Ghost. You said that he would minister. He would speak to us. And Father, you, you have promised us that my sheep, Hear my voice. So I believe everybody in this place is hearing you speak to them today. Thank you for open hearts. I thank you for minds being renewed today in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> this is a scripture that the Lord gave me back for back in November. It was about this time last year the Lord gave me this, and we've been saying it, I believe, every Sunday. Uh, for the whole year, Romans chapter 15, verse 13, the Passion Translation. Can we say this out loud together? Now may God, the inspiration and fountain of hope, fill you to overflowing with uncontainable joy and perfect peace as you trust in Him. And may the power of the Holy Spirit continually surround your life with His superabundance until you radiate with hope. So we are just nothing but radiators of hope. Amen. And the, Lord, the world is going to be, especially in America, they're going to be looking to people for hope. And we're going to give it to them because we're full of it. That's in a good way. We're full of it. All right. Some of your minds just went and all, back to your old. Anyway, um, I was um, praying about our church this week really intensely about it, and I have been for just, I felt like the Lord's just been dealing with me about our church for the last few weeks, and um, I felt like this is what God is saying to us, that he wants you to know this this morning. I wrote it down. I just felt like the Lord said that um, this is going to happen at RMFC. This is going to happen at our church. People will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. People will have a divine encounter, a God encounter. I believe our worship's going to change. I believe our worship's going to where people will be just worshiping God, and I believe people are going to get healed right where they stand, worshiping God. I believe people are going to get renewed. I believe marriages, you know, I do marriage counseling. I do. And uh, it's not one of my favorite things, but I do do it. And uh, just like going to a hospital and visiting people, I, I don't enjoy that, but I do do it. Not because I don't want to see you. I'm just not a, 
I'm real squirmish. If I see blood, I'm gone. And I have left somebody in the hospital when they started, their IV popped out and started bleeding. I left. I just went to the front desk. I said, so-and-so in room 202 needs help. You need to go help them. And I left. So, um, so that's the way I am. So you don't want me. You want me praying for you. You do not want me in the vicinity of the hospital. But anyway, having said all of that, I, I believe people are, are going to change and be transformed. Did you know God has never been interested in behavior modification? Where if we're obeying rules, if we're doing a bunch of do's and don'ts, and, you know, and people say, oh, well, they're doing good because they're not doing this and not doing that. But do you not realize that God's never been interested in behavior modification? He's only been interested in transformation, lives that are being transformed. I believe that there can be, while we're just worshiping God in his presence, marriages can just be supernaturally uh, healed. I believe bodies can be supernaturally healed. I believe relationships between children and their parents and between friends and bitterness from past divorce or past hurts, bitterness can just be wiped away and the heart and the soul of everybody can be healed in the twinkling of an eye. I believe that's going to happen. And that it's all about the manifestation of God's goodness. You know, and, and I realize that, you know, that people, you know, we pray for, people pray for revival. But in all reality, God's not going to pour out more of his spirit. There's not people saying, Lord, just pour out more of your spirit. You know, once you pour out Jesus, there just isn't any more to pour. Now, what we what people are probably trying to say is, Lord, we desire to see what you poured out in us to be manifested out here. Now that's what I'm looking forward to. I'm looking for a manifestation of the goodness of God. I'm looking for people's lives to be totally transformed because He is so good. I was, um, well, let me just say this. I believe this is not going to, it never was God's intention for the pastor, even though he's the pastor of the church, for him to be the one who lays hands on the sick, for him to be the one who goes to the hospital, for him to be the one who does the work. It has been the pastor's job to raise people up so you will go and lay hands on the sick, so that you will go and preach the good news, so that you will be able to counsel and tell everybody how good God is. And I believe that's going to be taken to another level in 2021 in this church. Anyway, I was in my office this week, and I just got up, and I started walking. I walk. I pray, when I pray, I walk. I've walked thousands of miles in the last... 30 years, uh, because I like to, I, even when I'm talking on the phone, if I know it's going to be a long conversation, if I'm talking to you, you can rest assured I'm walking. I just walk when I talk. I think somehow my legs are connected to my vocal cords. I'm not for sure how, <laughs> but I believe they are. But anyway, I was walking in my office praying for the church, for you all. Sometimes specifically, God will bring me your face, and I'll pray specifically for you, and a lot of times I'll just pray in general, but this time I was praying in general about the church, and, and I, was, I would go to, if you've been to my office, I walk around the desk, and there's a bookshelf, and I would look to the bookshelf, and then I'd turn around and, and walk back to the window, and one time I walked to the bookshelf, 
and I've got a bunch of books in there, and this book just popped out at me. It's uh, Face to Face with God by Bill Johnson. I read this years ago. I think it came out in 07, but I read it years ago, and I just pulled it out, and I just opened it up. I, I've got all kinds of underline. When I read a book, I underline it and write in it. I write in the margins, write on the sides, and just scribble it up really, really good or bad. But uh, I want to read you something from here that I, I feel like is where God wants to take us, all right? Uh, if you know Bill Johnson, he's the pastor of Bethel Church in Redding, California. And um, I forgot his story, how he was uh, a pastor of a nearby, well, let me just read this. In 1996, I became the pastor of Bethel Church in Redding, California. I was invited to take that position because the church had been crying out for revival. The church I had been pastoring in Weaverville, California, was experiencing a wonderful outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Bethel was the mother church of our church in Weaverville. And because of that connection, I was glad to accept that invitation and come and be their senior pastor. When I first spoke to Bethel's congregation about my coming, I told them that I was born for revival. I said that if they didn't want to move the Spirit of God, along with the messes that it comes with, with such an outpouring, they didn't want me because revival is not negotiable for me. They responded positively with uh, close to unanimous support, which was unusual for such a large church. It was about 2,000 people there. The outpouring began within a month of our arrival. Lives were changed, bodies were healed, divine encounters increased in amazing proportions, along with unusual manifestations that seemed to accompany a revival. On top of that, approximately 1,000 people left the church. Did you hear that? 50%. This wasn't the kind of revival they wanted. Understandably, it was dif difficult for people with that opinion to coexist happily with the perspective I held, which was that we should take whatever he gives us and until he gives us something else. Few things are more devastating to pastors than when people leave the church. It often feels like rejection. Pastors are a unique breed. I are one, I know. <laughs> Even when people who hate us leave the church, we still feel bad. That is kind of true. And uh, yet in this strange season of Exodus, my wife and I were immune to that devastation. And he goes on to say how that God gave him grace that he'd never lost his joy, him and his wife. And that church grew from, it went down to 1,000 people. to the, Today it has over 11,000 people. But more importantly, more importantly, lives were changed. You know, I grew up in religion where we had a set of rules where you had do's and don'ts. And I did my best to do that when I was a kid. But when I became a teenager, all of those got thrown out the window. Are y'all listening to me? 
You know why? Because I, I felt like I couldn't do the do's and the don'ts. I couldn't do them. And it wasn't until years later that uh, during all that time, I, I felt always condemned, always not measuring up, always insecure about my relationship with God. Until years, many years later, I started learning about the love of God. If you would have asked me when I was a teenager if I loved God, I would have said, yes. Does God love you? Most of the time, that's what I would have answered. And then the older I got, sometimes, and then I hope so. It's pretty sad that that's the mentality of a lot of Christians today, that they hope God loves them. They hope they're acceptable. When all the truth is, is that... You are accepted 100%, and you are always loved 100%. God the Father loves you as much as he loved his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but that's good news. He loves me when I sin, when I mess up. He loves you when you sin and when you mess up. And the good news is, is because he knew that we were man, and so that's why Jesus came, because he's the only one that can meet the 100% standard. Of never failing. Well, I just felt like as I was praying that God reassured my heart. He says that your people will have God encounters. They will encounter God and lives will be transformed. Not because there's a list. Because you can read the Bible and know a lot of things in it, but until you experience the love of God, it will never transform your life. And I believe that the church, God, has been waiting on us. Listen, you're going to find out government is not the answer. <laughs> I know there's people going, oh, man, what are we going to do? What are we going to do with this divisiveness? What are we going to do all of this? I'm telling you, this is what we're going to do. We're going to trust God what we should have been doing all along. We should be, and the Lord a month ago just spoke this to my heart. And he says, I want there to be a main theme throughout 2021 is for the church to trust me. To trust God. Isn't that a just phenomenal statement? But it's just easy to get apathetic in our walk with God. I know because I, it's happened to me many times. I was saved in the Baptist church when I was seven years old. A preacher preached against hell or preached about hell. Well, I guess that's against hell. But he preached that, you know, if you didn't know Jesus, you're going to die and burn in hell forever. I didn't like fire. I was the first one up out of my seat at seven years old. I didn't like that song, Johnny Cash, and it burns, burns, burns. <laughs> But God has reassured me that he says, Mike, I'm going to answer your prayers. And my prayer for this church has been that you will get a God encounter to a degree that the manifestation of God would just invade your life. Woo! God encounters. When we come together, that's why I believe the Bible says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, especially, as you know, when the day approaches. In other words, when we think that there, there is going to be an end time for this world. Time will keep going, but it's going to be very different. 
But I believe that God wants us to change. I believe he wants us to, to shake off the, the apathetic. And, and listen, there's no guilt or condemnation. I believe that's the greatest tool of the devil in the church. He uses shame, guilt, and condemnation to make you feel bad, to make you feel like, man, I didn't read. Man, I remember when we were at the old building standing up, you know, I've had a crazy week, and I've read the, maybe 15 minutes of my Bible for the whole week. I know. I, I was a pastor and uh, still am. But anyway, I, I would just get up, and I would ju- we would be worshiping God, and I would have nothing but guilt just dripping off of me, like I shouldn't even be going up to, to preach. I didn't spend much time with you. I didn't read much. You know, I just, I just, I just. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying let's quit praying, let's quit reading the Bible. If you think that, then you're just messed up. I'm not saying that. But I am saying this, that if you feel like, because I do know this, when I would read a few minutes more, the devil, I didn't know it was the devil. The devil never does say, I'm the devil and I'm here to to make you feel guilty. He always comes in first person. He says this to your mind, I just never read enough. I just, I'm not worthy enough. And so you think that's your thoughts, but it's really not your thoughts. It's his thoughts that he's putting in you, and you think it's you, and it's not you. But I would think that I, if I would read an hour, it still wasn't enough. If I would pray an hour, it still wasn't enough. And so no matter what I did, it was never enough until I had a revelation of the grace of God saying, God says, you can never me- measure up, Mike. That's why I sent Jesus. And when you accept him, you accept everything that I am. I believe that God wants to see signs and wonders and miracles in our midst. I believe that God wants you to lay hands on the sick and see people recover. This is what the disciples prayed in Acts 4.29. Acts 4.29. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now, the multitude of those who believed were of one Of one heart and one soul, neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. This was after, of course, in Acts, it was after the resurrection. You know, the church was still being persecuted. Romans were killing Christians, and so the church was in being threatened all the time. But the great thing about Even living in the darkness, the light will always shine in the darkness no matter how dark it gets. Let me just ask you this. How many people, let me see your hand, that you know that you were healed by God? Let me see your hand. Just everybody look around. Hold your hand up. Everybody look around. You know, someone told me one time when I was in my early 20s, said, you know, I just don't really believe that God heals. I said, well, you're a little late because I've already been healed. I said, that's like going to, if an astronaut, you know, we were missionaries in Africa and we went to some places in the bush where, man, I mean, they've never seen a white guy before, much less a redheaded white guy. 
I was redheaded at one time. But anyway, uh, but if an astronaut went to the bush of Africa, some remote place, and he looked up at the moon and told that, uh, the tribe there that, you know what, I walked on that moon. They're going to look at him and go, <laughs> yeah. But it wouldn't change the, you couldn't convince the astronaut of the truth that he experienced, that he experienced. And so when I was ministering to this person, he, he was my best friend's father in the hospital in Louisville, Kentucky. And so when I ministered that to him, he began to cry because he realized that I said, I have been healed by God. And so you can't tell me that God doesn't heal anymore. You're too late. In Mark chapter 16, verse 17, you're probably familiar with this. It says, and these miracles will accompany those who believe. It doesn't say, and these miracles will accompany those who are in ministry or pastoring. I want that to sink in. And these miracle signs will accompany those who believe. Do you believe this morning? You believe in Jesus. It says, this is for you. They will drive out demons in the power of my name. They will speak in tongues. They will be supernaturally protected from snakes and from drinking anything poisonous. And they will lay hands on the sick and heal them. This isn't my opinion. It's just time that the church start believing what God has said about you and what he's deposited in you. See, I don't have the ability in and of myself to heal people. But Christ has dwelled inside of me. And the same Jesus that spoke went to the blind, the same Jesus that spoke to the deaf, the same Jesus that raised the dead, that same Jesus lives in me and lives in you. And the same power that he had then is the same power that dwells in you and me today. But this is the thing, because when I started learning this in my 20s, I, I realized that, well, what if I fail? And I have. And if you put lay hands on people, so will you. Isn't that encouraging? Not everybody I've laid my hands on have been healed. But the same thing happened to Jesus in Mark chapter 6. You can look it up. We won't turn there. But Mark chapter 6, the Bible says, and he did very minor things works in this city because of their unbelief. It didn't stop Jesus. I said it didn't stop him. My point is this. When you lay hands on one person and they don't get healed, two people, ten people, fifteen people, nineteen people, and none of them are getting healed, you just say, man, what in the world? But there will be a day when you lay your hand on the 20th person and they will receive healing. Wouldn't it be worth it not to quit? I don't have all the answers why everybody doesn't get it on the first go around. But I do know this. The Bible says in Mark chapter 6 that when Jesus could do their no mighty work that he went to their churches and the synagogues and villages and he taught them. So don't quit. Don't quit believing after you've been prayed for. 
If somebody prays for you, if you're on the other end, I do believe this happens as well. People have been prayed for, and then a little while longer, they just go, man, it's just not happening. I didn't get it. I didn't receive it. Look at Luke chapter 17, verse 14. Jesus prayed for 10 lepers, and he says he looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priest. The custom was when you were healed of leprosy, you showed yourself to the priest because if you were a leper, you were not allowed to be in public and wander around. You had to go to your, show yourself to the priest, and he would claim you to be healed, and therefore you could go out in public. So Jesus prays for 10 people. They were healed, and he says, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. As they were going, it wasn't instantaneous. So this is what I know. When I'm believing God for something on my body, and if I don't get it right then and there, I never say, oh, I didn't receive. I didn't get it. You don't take an antibiotic and go and swallow it and go, well, that didn't work. You're not going to call the doctor and say, I just took that and it didn't work. He's going to laugh at you. Just don't tell him you go to our church. But anyway, he's just going to, he's going to think you're weird. He's going to think you're weird, man. Like, you know, it, it takes time. Jesus prayed for a blind man. And after he, this is Jesus Christ. He prayed for a blind man. And he says, so what do you see? He said, I see man as trees. In other words, it ain't 2020. And so he prayed for him again. And then he saw clearly. I think as believers, we have to get tenacious about not quitting in whatever we are believing God for. Don't quit. Don't quit. Patience. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It says that you and I have patience. You have patience. Everybody say, I have patience. This is what patience means. Cheerful and hopeful endurance. It does mean waiting, but it doesn't mean that you're not doing anything. Because when people say, well, I'm just waiting on God, you know what they're saying is that uh, I'm not doing anything. I'm just waiting. No, that's the wrong kind of waiting. Waiting means that you are actively engaged with God. You are actively engaged with God. In other words, you're believing. You're taking the word of God. and you're, you, The Bible says that his words are medicine to all of your flesh. So you're speaking that into your word. That's waiting on God as far as you're engaged in his word. You're engaged in his presence. They that wait on the Lord renew their strength. It means steadfast focus. Patience means steadfast focus. It means faith that endures over time, which means you don't give up. Endurance, patience. I know we've seen people burned out. I've been burned out before. There's been times years ago that when I thought, dear Lord, I don't want to preach another message. I know. Can you believe that? And the reason is because you can lose a battle in your mind. Patience helps us to finish our race. And not just to finish it, but to finish it with joy. 
I don't know, but it just seems like there's a lot of people who, who pass on, and uh, they're going to walk through the gates of heaven, and they're going to go, thank God it's over. I don't know about you, but I don't think that's a good testimony. I don't think Jesus is going to be going, I mean, like, no, I want to be like Paul. Woo! I have finished my race. I've ran the course, and I've not only finished it, I finished it with, with joy. And this is a guy who was put in prison for two years for preaching the gospel. This is a guy who was stoned and killed. This is a guy who was beaten. This is a guy who had revival and riot. Every city he went, people hated him. And he sits there, man, you can't touch this. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 3 says this, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so uh, easily besets us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradictions of sinners. And against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Weary and faint in your mind. That's where we lose the battle. You don't lose it out here until you lose it between your ears. You lose it by being wearied in your mind. You're thinking on the wrong things. And we're all doing Jesus himself was even tempted to do this when he knew what he was about to face. Sweat drops of blood was dripping off of him because he knew what he was about to face. And he said, Lord, if there's any other way to do this, let's do that. So in other words, if there's a plan B, I'm all for plan B. But he said, nevertheless. And then he talked to his soul. He talked to his soul. You know, people, you know they say that if you talk to yourself, you're crazy. It's actually the opposite. If you don't talk to yourself, you can go crazy. You need to talk to yourself. I talk to Mike all the time. And Mike is a good listener, so he, he listens to Mike. But I tell myself, you will not get depressed. You're not allowed to get depressed. How can you get depressed when Jesus has given you life and he's given you everything to enjoy life? How can anybody get depressed with a Savior who lives inside of him, who died for you, who gave you life, who gave you prosperity, who gave you healing, who gave you everything to enjoy life with? How in the world can you get depressed? So that's why David said, why so downcast on my soul? Jesus, God, the Father is the lifter of our head. So you talk to yourself so you won't get weary in your mind. But it says we have a cloud of witnesses. Sandra has joined that cloud of witnesses. There's a a cloud of witnesses that have lived the life that God had for them. And now we are on this planet and they are expecting us to endure and not quit. Not only for our sake, but for the generation that's coming after us. They are dependent upon you living your race. And not just living and running your race, but doing it with endurance, with patience. Which means a joyful expectation. 2020, I mean, everybody's thinking, thank God we only have, what, six weeks left, seven weeks left, and we get to change the calendar to 2021. But listen to me. 
We have to believe. We have to believe with all of our hearts that we're going to run the race with joyful expectation. That we're not going to wait till January 1st. Let's just believe it today. Let's believe it today. That life is sweet for you today. It says a cloud of witnesses. They're expecting you and me. So patience involves maturity. It does. We have to be involved in what God has done for us. And it takes maturity. It's a process. Endurance is a process. Patience is also the fruit of learning to respond properly to hardship. Did you hear that? It's the fruit of learning to respond properly to hardship. If you're on this planet very long at all, you're going you're gonna to face some things that are rough, bad, terrible, and downright ugly. You're probably going to face some tragedy sometime in your life. We don't have all the answers, but I do know this. How you respond to that can very well determine your future. There's people that something bad happens and they quit, quit serving God, quit believing God. Just because they, they, they look at this, but I have put in my foundation that no matter what happens, I'm going to love him. And I'm going to always believe that he's a good God no matter what I see, no matter what goes on around me, that God is good and he's the best father I, anybody could ever have. you got to have that. Because, man, there's going to be things that will shake you. And the Bible says things will be shaken. Man, the United States of America is getting shaken right now. But when the dust settles, Jesus is still sitting on the throne. He's still Lord of Lords. He's still King of Kings. And he's never going to be shaken. And he's never going to leave us nor forsake us. Hebrews 6.12. So don't allow your hearts to grow dull or lose your enthusiasm. But follow the examples of those who fully receive what God has promised because of their strong faith and patient endurance. So Jesus was the ultimate example. When people treated him horribly, how did he respond? He always responded in love. Man, that takes patience. That takes endurance. That, that takes some stuff. How did Jesus respond? You know, because if you're not careful, you say, well, endure. We just have to endure sickness and disease. No, don't jump on that bandwagon. You don't have to endure anything that God paid the price for. 1 Peter 2.24, by his stripes you were healed. Well, I just have to endure this sin, you know. No, you don't have to endure sin because Jesus paid the price and became sin. Him who knew no sin became sin, so we don't endure sin. I'm just going to just keep sinning because, you know, I'm just, I just have to endure this. Man, that's a lie of the devil. I just have to endure defeat. I just have to endure depression. I just have to endure. I'm just going to I'm just going to hang on until I cross over Jordan stormy. Stormy. How's that song go? Stormy. I'm not getting any help in here. Stormy Banks. Something about It was a terrible Christian song. It was. It's like, well, we're just going to hang on and just Oh, hallelujah. You're not, no, they didn't say hallelujah. We're just going to hang on. We're just going to, we're suffering for Jesus. Let me tell you something. If you think you're in sickness suffering for Jesus, there's no glory in Jesus getting out of that. If you think you're suffering in poverty, there's no glory in God getting. Don't get me wrong. Listen to me. Has everybody listened to me? Don't never let yourself get condemned for 
especially for a church like us that we believe in healing and somebody gets sick, you know, then the first thing that happens is you feel guilty or condemned. Man, that is so much of the devil. Don't play into his hand. Don't play cards with the devil. You will lose. If you're going to play cards, play with the Holy Ghost. You will always win. It's probably not a very good illustration, but you know I get the point. You get the point. We win. God wants you to know that you win. Even if you die in sickness, there is no defeat for the believer. So don't ever let the devil condemn you, make you feel guilty or shame for one minute because, man, I've just been struggling about getting healing. I've just been that. Listen to me. Don't let that cause you to feel condemned. If you're struggling financially, don't let that cause you to be guilty. I just, I must not be. Listen, none of us are perfect. But I do know this, the more that you understand about this, the more victory you'll have over sickness, the more victory you'll have over poverty, the more victory you'll have over depression, the more victory you'll have in your life, in your relationships. So don't allow yourself to feel guilty over anything. James chapter 1, verse 2 says this, My fellow believers, when it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulties... Are you hearing me? Nothing but difficulties. I think we've all probably been there. You know? The first of this year, I mean, it just seemed like there was one bad thing after one bad thing. And then you think, okay, dear Lord, I know I'm at the bottom. And then, lo and behold, you wake up the next day and someone has dug a basement underneath your bottom so you can drop down lower. This is my fellow believers. When it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulties... See it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. You read that and you go, say, what? Uh, What are you telling me? When you don't have nothing but trouble, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy you can. For you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up power within you to endure all things. And when... And then as your endurance grows even stronger, it will release perfection into every part of your being until there is nothing missing and nothing lacking. That's where we want to live. So this is what he's saying. You can have a terrible circumstance going on out here. All hell can be breaking loose. But if you respond correctly, it's going to cause you to come to a place where nothing is missing and nothing is lacking in your life. I know all of us, even myself, can't grab a hold of that and put our arms around that. That There's bad circumstances that are happening, but listen to me. There is patience inside of you, and there is a joy that's been deposited on the inside of you. Jesus said this. He knew that he was going to become sin. He knew that the payment for sickness and disease was going to be on his body. He knew everything, the curse. He was going to become cursed. Who knew no sin, he was going to be cursed and buried. Galatians 3.13. He knew all of that. But then the Bible says this, for the joy that was set before him, he knew that he could endure it. What was he saying? He knew that, you know what? This is just temporary. On the other side of that, there's going to be complete victory. And because he could see on the other side of that, the Bible says he had joy and expressed joy 
the joy that was set before him. Today, ladies and gentlemen, joy has been set before you and me. Joy has been set before us. I said joy has been set before us. No matter what circumstance, no matter what problem, no matter what difficulty, there is also, there may be a mountain, but before the mountain there is the joy of the Lord that the Bible says in Nehemiah that will cause you and me to have strength. Strength for what? To go over the mountain, to go around the mountain, to go through the mountain. But when the dust settles, I'm going to be on the other side in victory. The strength of Almighty God has been set before you, and it's in the form of joy. It's in the form of joy. So, my fellow believers, when it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulty, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. Wow. That's the goodness of God. I just want you all to hook up with my heart and just pray and believe, pray for one another that the goodness of God is going to be manifested when we come together. What does that mean? People are going to be healed. People's lives are going to be changed. People who come in sad can go away with a smile and spring in their step. People who come in limping can walk out jumping. Marriages that are thinking about, you know, I'm not thinking about divorce, but I have been tempted to get a gun. Okay, maybe that was really bad, but you know, there's some don't believe in divorce, but listen to me. If you've been married probably longer than six months, there's been some times where you just think, dear Lord, what did I do? I thought I was lonely and miserable. I've tell single people this all the time. There's a lot worse things than being lonely and miserable. You think that's the worst? No. You'd be married to the... Anyway, we won't go there, but my pro- the, the problem is this. We need to... i tell you what. I've been married 31 years. Let me give you this testimony. And I have had revelation about loving my wife in the last six months like I've never had before. I know. Yeah, you should clap. My wife would be clapping, I guarantee it. And I just didn't realize. I just thought, you know, you've been married 31 years. You should know a couple things about love. In the last six months, I just felt like I didn't know squat. You know, because when you truly have the love of God, listen to me, listen to me. The wisdom and the revelation of God is not just so you and I can be smart. The wisdom and revelation of God is so that you and I can step into the unseen realities and embrace what is not seen and it become real to you. Did you get that? And so all of a sudden, these last six months, I've understood that God loves me so much and that I have that same love toward my wife. Which means this. Do you understand that, you know, you, you see people when they've been married for 20, 30 years, you know, and they said, you know, I don't love them anymore. And this is the thing, you know, you, you gain a few pounds, you lose some hair, you got wrinkles here and there, and obviously you don't look like you did when you were 20. I'm speaking where the rubber meets the road, okay? Just everybody keep looking forward and smiling. We all think you're happy. This is the thing. 
Because when you understand the love and the revelation of God, it's the same love that God looks toward you, which means this. When you sin, when you're not doing exactly everything right, he still loves you the same. And so when we're just looking at the physical realm, love can be fickle. But when you understand from the spiritual realm, it doesn't matter if they gain weight, if they have more wrinkles, if everything just goes to to pot or whatever. You look at them and go, whoa, you look good today. And I love you more today than I did. I love my wife better now than I did when she was, whenever, how old she was when we got married? 31 years ago. 31 years ago. I can honestly say that there's a revelation of love, and this is what I'm saying, that all of us need to experience that. You don't need to know that God loves you. That in and of itself will not change your life. But when you experience it, it will change you, and the people on the outside will know that you've been changed. And this is how the world will know that you're my followers, for your love for one another, no matter what political affiliation you are. No matter what race you are, no matter what culture is behind you or in you, the love of God is the most powerful thing on this planet. And it will change nations and cities. Let's stand. Hallelujah. I just believe there's a lot, maybe some people here, you got bitterness inside of you. God wants you to let it go today. There's people in here who got regrets. You know, man, I went down that road a couple months ago. Regrets of some of the things I did in my 20s, and I just thought, man, I wish I could take that back. So I, I dwelled in my mind there too long. And it just, it was a downer of a day. Listen to me. You and I need to live our lives with zero regret. Zero. So if you got regrets that have been hounding you today, let it go. I don't care. Some people say, you know, uh, well, you know, I did something really terrible. I I had an abortion when I was younger. I, I got divorced, and I was the reason of the divorce, or I was this, or I did that. And, and just listen to me. You need to let that regret go. You need to let that regret go. Because today, his mercies are new, brand new today. God wants you to experience his love today. And it's hard to experience his love if you're hanging on to regret, bitterness in the past. That's why Paul said, this one thing I do. I let go of the past, and I press toward the mark. I I press forward to what God has made me and called me to be. You can't do anything about your past anyway. So if that's you today, just let's just, when I pray, you just, in your mind, your heart, just say, God, I'm giving you my past. I'm giving you my regret. I'm giving it to you. And from this day forward, anytime those thoughts come to your mind, Listen to me. Anytime those thoughts, just because you gave it to God doesn't mean the devil will go, okay, we'll forget about it. No, he will bring it back. And every time he brings it back, you say, oh, that's the blood of Jesus has taken that away from me. I'm sorry you got the wrong address. It's no longer part of my life. The blood of Jesus doesn't cover. It takes it away as if it never existed. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name. I do pray. 
for Rocky Mountain Family Church and for all those who are watching. I pray for the wisdom of God, the revelation of God, for all of us to step in to the wisdom and revelation of the love of God, that we can embrace the unseen realities, things that we've not experienced, but we read about the Bible. We read that God healed people. We read that God prospered people. We read about lives were transformed. We read about it. But now, Father, with that unseen reality, we want to step into it by the wisdom of God, by the revelation of God. May this church, may the people listening to this, even in the future, may they listen to it and step in to the unseen realities by faith and their lives be healed, touched, and transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer this morning, on my left, your right, we're going to dismiss you, and you can go and, and be prayed for. If you need, just say, man, I just, I just want that, that fire. I just want the enthusiasm. I just want things. I want the manifested presence of God in my life. You come up. If you're hurting your body, come up. These people will lay hands on you. All right? This is the way to give before we close. Ways to give. You can give online. Go to our website, rmfchurch.org. You can make a check, check payable to RMFC. There's buckets back in the back. You can drop that in there as well as cash. You can text to them out that number as well. All right? Praise God. Are you blessed today? You excited about life today? I always want to say this before I leave. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the Amplified, about love. Love says this, that love takes no account of an evil done to it, it pays no attention to a suffered wrong. Can we all say it out loud together? I only say three. You say it. Ready? One, two, three. Love takes no account of an evil done to it, pays no attention to a suffered wrong. That's you today. God bless you. You're dismissed.